Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, The Gateway will explore the impact blockchain technology has had on multiple facets of modern life. From tracking seafood freshness to conducting transactions overseeing millions in currency, the blockchain has been proclaimed as an integral element of revolutionary change around our planet. Has the blockchain accomplished these idealized shifts, or has it been integrated into traditional business strategies, neutering the utopian outcomes once outlined? To help examine the past, present, and endlessly evolving future of the blockchain, the Gateway is proud to welcome Dr. Christoph Mueller-Block, an assistant professor at, at... To help examine the past, present, and endlessly evolving future of the blockchain, the Gateway is proud to welcome Dr. Christoph Mueller-Block, an assistant professor at Essex Business School, where his research is primarily concerned with information systems governance and coordination, particularly in the context of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Dr. Mueller-Block's work has been published in journals such as the Journal of the Association for Information Systems and Communications of the ACM. Dr. Mueller-Block holds a PhD from the IT University of Copenhagen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined with my incredible co-host, as always, Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello, Biagio! Hello, benvenuti. Welcome to another great episode. So happy to be back live this fall, so I'm excited for this one. Yes, I am too. I'm too. Our first live event. So um, today's episode of The Gateway will be looking at the blockchain and to help examine the past, present, and endlessly evolving future of the blockchain, The Gateway is proud to welcome Dr. Christoph Mueller-Block, an assistant professor at Essex Business School, where his research is primarily concerned with information systems governments and coordination, particularly in the context of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Dr. Mueller-Block's work has been published in journals such as the Journal of the Association for Information Systems and Communication of the ACM. Dr. Mueller-Block holds a PhD from the IT University of Copenhagen. Christoph, welcome to The Gateway. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you so much, Russ and Piaccio. Good to see you. Good to see you. So I always like to start these conversations at the beginning. And for this conversation, I, I, I want to I want to start with a definition of the blockchain, what that is, what that technology is. I think that's a good framework to then kind of jump off from. So when we discuss blockchain, when you hear that term, when you talk about it, when you do the research, what, what are you referring to? 
Well, I think it's actually an excellent question because I think people really have very different conceptions of what they mean when they talk about blockchain. Because when you would talk to you know programmers that are really active in the space, they would probably say that the blockchain is what was originally referred to in the Bitcoin white paper as just a chain of blocks that would contain transaction data. So it's essentially a database that is append only. You can only add data. It's not really meant that you're removing data at all, just um, that database, essentially. That's that's the blockchain. And the reason it's called blockchain is really that you have blocks that contain data, that contain what we often refer to as transactions. And these blocks are linked together so that they could make up something you could call a chain. And that's really to establish some kind of linear timeline. So you could say, you know, that's block one, that's block two, there's block three, block one comes before block two, block three comes after block two. Um, so that is what I would say is actually the blockchain in a way, but what the term is often used for as well is really a whole system. And that system is enabling a lot of different things. So if you think about Bitcoin, for instance, and I think, I suppose, all, all, almost all of our listeners have heard about Bitcoin, that um, the idea behind Bitcoin is really that you, you have a currency that is not you know, um, managed by a central bank, but that is managed in a somewhat decentralized, distributed way. And that is done through IT, that is done through some kind of protocol that manages um, how the blockchain is produced. So the blockchain is actually just a ledger of transactions of Bitcoin between different parties, right? So it says A sends one Bitcoin to B, and then in the next block, it might say B sends one Bitcoin to C. So this is of course what we could call the blockchain, but going back to this idea that the blockchain is a system, we could really say that we want something that is decentralized. We want something that is distributed. That need, means we need to manage it in a certain way. We can't just have a central bank, you know, taking care of the entire process and trusting the central bank with making sure that, you know, a US dollar is legit. We can't really do that. So we need to find another way to do this. If we don't want a central bank, what do we do? We rely on a network. We rely on a network of different entities distributed all around the globe that jointly administer the blockchain so this, this ledger and it's really um this network this system that allows us to do all kinds of things that is often also referred to as the blockchain so when people talk about blockchain technology which is often what you would hear it's really about what blockchain technology could do but i would actually prefer the term blockchain system or blockchain network, because it's really this network of different nodes, we call them, that use, of course, some technology to jointly produce this blockchain, this ledger of transactions. So in that sense, I guess you could say, and excuse the very long answer, but you could say there's, there's this ledger of transactions, that's the blockchain in a way, but often what we mean is actually the blockchain network, the blockchain system that really, makes blockchain valuable. Because if you think about it, 
you know, why do we use blockchain? We want some kind of decentralized distributed record keeping. And you can only have that if you have a network of different entities working together. Else you could just stick to the US dollar, for instance, when it comes to currencies, right? Instead of using Bitcoin. Right, exactly. So here's what I'm, I kind of want to step forward and and we love long answers here. So a lot of times when, when we ignore long answers, we ignore all of the wonderful parts of that stuff. So thank you for, for that. What I find really interesting about the blockchain system is, is the way it's been implemented in, in more... I would say non-traditional elements of it. So I, I see I see food manufacturers using blockchain to verify verify you know freshness or or how how something was submitted and, and transferred all around the world. Are are you are you seeing that blockchain systems are going to become more and more pervasive in business across or has it kind of been implemented where it can be and it's a neat thing but it's kind of at its peak I, I does that make any sense oh absolutely and I think it's a really excellent question I think um what is important here is that we really need to distinguish between two different types of blockchains right we need to distinguish between on the one hand what we would call permissionless blockchains that are really open that anyone can participate in to you know manage this network together so if you think about bitcoin you could just you know at home set up a server and participate in the system but then there's also permissioned blockchains and our blockchain systems really and they work in a different way the idea is really that you're only allowed to participate in the system if you're pre-approved in some way. And that can work through different ways, and that's a topic in itself. But really, this means that the, um, the environment really works quite differently. So, And of course, going back to your question, if you think about an industry context, you would typically talk about permission blockchains, which I actually do think have a lot of potential and which a lot of companies all around the world are looking into. I think in the end, often what you see is really that the adoption, which is really something that also a lot of consortia are looking into, is really not so much a technological problem, but it's more an issue of getting companies on board, convincing them that this is actually a good idea. But this is certainly something, I mean, if you if you think about, you know, um, in particular, the IBM implementations, there's Walmart, there's, for instance, the um, in the shipping industry, there's Mass, the largest shipping and container shipping company in the world based in Denmark, Europe. And there's all kinds of different really big players that are really pushing for this because they believe in it. So here's, here's something I find... Um very interesting within this stuff here um when you're when you're talking about companies buying into this technology do you feel that the blockchain is sometimes i'm going to use the word tarnished but but brings a, a history with it that at some point might have been um used I, i'm specifically thinking of like the silk road and all of the different um elements of using cryptocurrency to to basically purchase illegal things or participate in that stuff and that was all basically allowed because of 
the blockchain because of that stuff there. If they didn't have that, no one would have participated in it. Now, as that has moved forward and, and gone past that, uh, do you think that there are still companies and organizations that shy away from it and, and uh, rely back on more of the traditional means because of, of that previous fear? Or is that just, is it just a new thing and new technology is scary anyways? I mean, the, the, the last thing you said is certainly true, right? New technologies <laughs> are often scaring companies and executives. Um, but, you know, I think that many companies have really passed this, moved past this fear. I think like five or six years ago, this was much more of a topic, right? That's, for instance, for a lot of time, for a long time, really, companies have been talking about distributed ledger technology as opposed to blockchain. And I think one of the reasons was that they really didn't want to use that term. And in particular, they didn't want to talk about cryptocurrency, they didn't want to talk about Bitcoin, because that had to do with, you know, illegal activities. And obviously, they didn't want, you know, to um, take that reputational risk. I think by now, in a way, the um, awareness of cryptocurrencies of Bitcoin of blockchain in the mainstream has increased quite a bit. And I think it's quite acceptable for, you know, individuals to invest in cryptocurrencies it's quite common that people do it another question is of course whether that's a good idea but um I, I i think you know i think it's not that much of a problem anymore at this point for companies to to engage in the space i think the bigger question that companies should ask themselves is really is it actually a good idea to do it does it make sense right because I think you also see quite a lot of companies doing it to perhaps capitalize on the hype, really, for instance, or really to achieve some other goals. So that's something you see quite a bit as well. But overall, I think companies have really lost their fears in terms of interacting and engaging with these technologies. You see, you see them kind of using these terms as as almost marketing campaigns and things like that. Like, oh, hey, we have this, and you're like, well, do we need? It? Like, we're just saying we had that stuff. Um, so I, I'm gonna. You presented a question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it to you here. Like, where do you fall on on cryptocurrencies? And and like you like you asked yourself, is that a good thing? Is that something we should be doing as I'm going to put it as a global society because I'm not, I'm not, I, I think that's essentially where cryptocurrencies may differ than maybe traditional currencies where the dollar, like I understand we do, we do transactions on, on all different types of, of currencies, but um, I think crypto really allows that to be a global thing. Is that a good thing that we all head towards and, and, and start purchasing everything with Bitcoin or whatever Elon Musk is creating right now on Twitter for whatever he's investing, you know, like, is that where we should be going or is that a problem? I think it's an excellent question. And I think if you think about cryptocurrencies, you have a lot of folks out there saying that they're essentially useless. We don't need them, right? That's something you see a lot on Twitter, um, for instance. And I actually think that's, um, that's not very convincing because if, if, if you really think about it, Cryptocurrencies are, in my, from my perspective, a really unique new asset class that are really different from what we've had in the past. And the reason is as following. There's um, basically two dimensions you could think about in terms of assets, right? If you, you, people need assets, obviously, to invest and to you know, do something with their income. And 
one thing is that assets can be virtual or non-virtual, right? And the other thing is that, and that basically, if you think about that, if you think about non-virtual assets, you would be talking about real estate, you would be talking about gold, you would be talking about, you know, things like that. But then of course there's somewhat virtual assets and then we can talk about perhaps stocks or something like that, right? So, and obviously when you talk about cryptocurrencies, they fall into the virtual category, right? They're virtual. But then the other dimension of this is really that there's also a question of institutional um, involvement, you could say censorship risk perhaps. And traditionally when you would think about um, non-virtual investments like gold, the big advantage was there was no censorship risk. You can just buy gold, you can keep it at home. And there's, you know, like there's nothing that any institution can do about it, right? And I mean, it's a very libertarian idea in a way, um, but when you would want virtual assets like stocks, you would always need to rely on some kind of stockbroker or some kind of institution to help you with that. And what is really new about cryptocurrencies is that they combine virtuality with really this lack of censorship risk. So it's really something that is virtual, but it's also something that, you know, the government can take away from you. And of course they have, they have some means as well in that regard, but essentially that's really something that makes cryptocurrencies novel. And that alone, I think makes them useful because then you can think about what are areas where this could really provide use. And I think perhaps, of course, this also depends on your own perception of the world. I know in the US, there's a lot of libertarians, so they like to have things that the government cannot intervene, intervene with, right, or interfere with. So if, if you're that type of person, then that might be something for you. Um, and of course, that comes down a lot to your perception. But when you think about it, if you think, for instance, about refugees, right, there's a lot of wars going on in the world. There's also people who are actually not that poor who still have to flee. If you think about Ukraine, if you think about Syria, those are somewhat developed countries. Those are actually fairly, fairly rich countries in the case of Ukraine. Ukraine. And really, people need to safeguard their assets. And what do they do, right? So if, if they own stock, if they own you know, their national currency, the government can just you know, confiscate that, for instance or start printing money because they need to finance the war effort or something like that. And then you have inflation. So that's not really ideal. So then of course you could say you go for non-virtual assets, but you know, having a house in the country at war, that might not be ideal. And it's also, of course very cumbersome to buy a house. You can't really move it with you. You could say you could buy gold, which you could move with you, but imagine you're a refugee you may not want to have any gold because people might just take it from you because you're in a very vulnerable position. So what do you do? Cryptocurrencies are a very good option in that case, right? And um, because gold is not an option, stocks are not an option, there's really a lot of things that are very risky. And I think cryptocurrencies are really a relatively um, good idea in that case, or good option in that case. So. That's not my entire answer because that's really only, that's only the answer to the question, is it useful? I think it's absolutely useful. 
the other question would be whether when you ask whether it's a good idea is whether it's ethical mm-hmm. and i think that there's a problem with cryptocurrencies in the sense that they just their impact can be so detrimental on the environment that you really want to think about whether it's a good idea to own for instance bitcoin because bitcoin is associated with a lot of co2 emissions so bitcoin uses as much energy as a small industrialized country and it change you have a lot of comparisons there you can google it i mean i think at some point um people said it would emit as much or would use as much energy as say denmark or pakistan but you can look it up for yourself really but the point is it's 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 quite drastic so and in that sense i think you would really really need to reconsider if it's a good idea ethically to buy bitcoin in particular because there are good alternatives that are not as energy intensive right so if you think about what is currently going on with ethereum they're moving to proof of stake from proof of work which and proof of stake is much less energy intensive so i think they said they reduced the energy consumption by 99% and since we have these alternatives i think it's just much more ethical to not invest in bitcoin because if you for instance look at ethereum but also look at other alternatives they they do the same thing essentially of course you could say you know bitcoin is more universally accepted it's more liquid but honestly if you look at ethereum i think it's pretty much as good i mean there's there's no big difference anymore so to to really sum sum it up and to answer your question i think it's absolutely is it a good idea to buy cryptocurrencies i think it's absolutely useful that we have the option but you want to be mindful and you want to consider which ones to buy if you think it's a good idea for you to buy cryptocurrencies christoph uh, i mean thank you so much for all this and i think it's, it's pretty normal that your answer are long because it's such a complex topic and uh, you know you, you're doing a great job to make it accessible to all of us so i thank you for that um again coming from italy i still remember where my grandmother was hiding uh, you know lira at that time but the currency under the mattress so i i perfectly see what you were saying like the the possible alternatives to get point uh, how you get paid how you maintain you know wealth uh in a certain way but i was wondering what is your take on you know government kind of regulating like okay what is an acceptable way to accept payments i know this is this is uh born to to not have the government involved but if if there is like a really tangible damage to the environment we know that something is really uh gonna hurt in the long run is it like you think that the government will try to say hey you can get paid in uh ethereum but you cannot get paid in bitcoin or uh, i don't know is do you see any any of this coming up um so i think it's an excellent question and i think there's probably two parts to it um and one could be um should government stop paying people in cryptocurrency and if you think about it in a way you could say that it's an admittance of defeat right that they say okay our our own fiat currency it's perhaps not as you know trustworthy so we'd rather pay you in bitcoin it might be a practical solution for some countries right there are some countries that have um recognized bitcoin as legal tender so that is certainly a thing that is happening in some places 
But I think um, also given how cumbersome it is to, you know, conduct transactions with cryptocurrency, I don't think we would see a lot of this. The other thing, of course, that you talked about is really regulation. And in particular, for instance, given the, you know, detrimental environmental impact of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, I think that's a very important question. Now, there's different ways to do this. So I think when it comes to really CO2 emissions, the most obvious thing would really be to just, you know, come up with a CO2 price, which is what, you know, most economists suggest anyway. And that's, I mean, it's, I know it's very controversial politically, but if you look at what the science says, it's actually, there's a lot of agreement that this is a really good idea to do this. So if you have a price on carbon emissions, that means that if anybody somewhere is mining Bitcoin, you know, and doing that in a very carbon intensive way, that this is not as economically feasible really because they'll have to pay some kind of carbon tax or so. Of course, given that this is a global system, you could say there will always be people trying to you know, move to locations where really the carbon emissions are not priced at all or where these prices are very low. So in that sense, it's very complex. There's other things you can do. You could, for instance, say as a government, we just forbid any Bitcoin transactions. And that would probably not tot be totally enforceable, but to a large extent, it would be enforceable because most investors really rely on exchanges, right? And these exchanges actually need to know who you are, where you live, you know, you need to register. There's all these know your customer procedures that you have to go through. So in that sense, it's very similar to getting a bank account. And basically what regulators can always do is they can just look at the exchanges and say, okay, you're just not allowed to operate anymore. And you're, and, um, and, you know, governments like the US government, they're very powerful. So they have some means to do this. I think then the question for governments might be rather, is this actually something we want to do? And I mean, my personal take on this is that governments are sometimes actually too tame. I think governments should crack down more on currencies like Bitcoin. But I also understand that this is not necessarily politically feasible. And I mean, and you may also disagree with this. I mean, there's probably good arguments for why you shouldn't do it. Um, but but anyway, I think, you know, this is perhaps the debates that governments really need to have, right? Is what should we do about cryptocurrencies? And I know for in many countries that, um, you know, um, gains that you make from selling cryptocurrencies, um, they are taxed. And I mean, if, if you tax, uh, gains from selling stocks, why not also tax gains from selling cryptocurrency? So Christoph, as we're, as we're talking with all of these things, I think the, the foundation of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies came from, um, in, in my view, a, a place of, of, of good of being able to give access to currency to be able to enter into markets to people that that might not have been able to do it in a traditional way i'm thinking of some of those those different countries that that have 
lower infrastructure that can't do that stuff and now can can kind of come in and do that. Do you think as companies like IBM, these these large massive ones are adopting this technology and even kind of starting to shift and and direct where it's going, do you think we're going to lose that 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 goodness in it and it, and it just become part of of the way business is done and it's been kind of co-opted again or do you think it, there's there's space for both of this cuz the the technology itself can can manage that I think it's an excellent question and I think I mean um of course it also it's it's a bit of an ideological question as well mm -hmm. right so depending on where you stand politically you might have a different answer to this so this is not just a scientific question in a way, but really um, the way I see it, and of course, I mean, I'm a business school professor, so I'm, I'm not against business at all. I think there's, there's really a way for you know, blockchain to create good in the world, but also to help businesses you know, be more cost-effective and be more effective generally in, in, in you know, conducting their daily business. So I think in that sense, there's really space for both. I mean, it's really it's really two different ideas that are are there and that are perhaps also a bit contradictory. But I think they both you know they both are valuable in a way, right? The one idea is really we have a decentralized distrib distributed system that ha has no institutions in it. I think that's really important to say. So you have something like Bitcoin. There's no institutional involvement, at least in an ideal idealized world, because of course. Bitcoin transactions can also be regulated. I mean, then, of course, it's a question of how well these regulations can be enforced. But that's that's the one world. The other world is really a corporate world. And here we do have distribution and decentralization as well. And at least we should, because else there's no reason to rely on blockchain. So. I think that's very important to see, right? You have often many co companies cooperating in some kind of way, exchanging data, transacting with one another and so forth. And really what blockchain can help them to do is do that in a more trustworthy way. The difference between these two kind of worlds is really that in the corporate world, you would still have some kind of institutional involvement. You still have corporations signing contracts, agreeing on how to do these things and agreeing on you know jurisdiction and so forth but really the idea of decentralization remains because and i mean i, I know that in in reality there are some implementations for which this is not the case but then again those implementations in my eyes they don't really make sense in the in, in the you know in, in when it comes to the idea of why blockchain is useful because that's the reason blockchain is useful um, then there might be other motives of course for for instance for companies to you know suggest to their business partners to rely on blockchain for instance because they don't actually want the blockchain system but they just want to tie their business partners closer to them for some other reasons i mean that's something you see in practice um but then it really has nothing to do with blockchain anymore. But it's really, um, what is important is really that blockchain can work with institutions and without institutions, but it's always about decentralization in my eyes. Christoph, I have a, I have a question kind of related to this, but uh, it's, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but 
uh, a wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, Model Beckham Jr., uh, said like he, he got acquired by this by this team in the U.S. and he said, "I want to get my salary paid in Bitcoin." Right. So where, <laughs> so where is this? Uh, like, what do you think about this? Like, what do you think about people saying, "I don't want to be paid with dollars. I want to be paid with Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency is there." Is that like it's gonna be creating some issue in in terms of like, okay, what, what are we gonna do with the current currency or what are we gonna do with the current way of doing stuff or doing business? Or is that gonna be like, oh, okay, that's his preference. Let's just go with it. Yeah, I mean, I actually haven't heard of this case, but I mean, and I'm 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 not really surprised that there's some someone out there who actually wants this, right? So, and I think if you think about it, probably this person had either some ideological reason for this or wanted the attention that came with it, which can also be a good reason for people to do things. Um, perhaps they're, they're active in the space themselves or want, have some kind of business that they want to promote or so forth. Um, but really, I think at this point, it's just not that practical. I mean, of course, you know, you can exchange your Bitcoin to US dollars and then you can go out and buy some things, you know, Mm -hmm. But but really, um, there's so much you know fluctuation in the price that if you say okay, you know my annual salary are like you know five bitcoin, two bitcoin. What does it even mean? You know, I mean, the price is going up and down so wildly that can really you know that's just too risky, and I I don't see why. Why employers or employees would do that? It just doesn't make sense to me. He's a millionaire, so he probably likes thinking like, if it goes well, it goes well. If it goes bad, it goes bad. Yeah, but yeah that's um, thank you. <laughs> so then, Christoph, as we're talking about kind of the the application of of cryptocurrency and blockchain and all of that stuff, where do you see it it potentially going? next like into the future of it is this going to be something that will become ingrained into the metaverse and we're all going to be using that or probably by that time zuckerberg will have his own cryptocurrency that will be shifting around in that world but but where's the the next step within this stuff or again i, I keep going back to the same ending of my questions or is, is this kind of the the peak that we've used it and implemented it where it can be and it's just going to be different iterations of of kind of the same rollout I think it's an excellent question, and it's really something where you can only speculate. Yeah. I mean, when it when it comes to when it, and when it comes to the metaverse, I mean, you could always ask, what is the metaverse anyway? Because some <laughs> some you know some you would probably find some professor somewhere who would say, okay, we're on the metaverse right now because we're on Zoom. You know, that's the metaverse. <laughs> right. So, um, but 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 you know, um, I think it it. You really, like, perhaps you need to think about the different applications that are out there. And I think one application that is relatively mainstream by now is cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. And, I've, and I've, I think really um, the way to think about them is not so much as a currency, but really more as an asset. It's something you can invest mm -hmm. in if you want certain characteristics of your asset. And we talked about that earlier, right? It's virtual, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's also very hard for governments to interfere with it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one thing, right? We have cryptocurrencies. Then we have all these corporate applications that are, um, so it's a bit difficult to get 
data on this and information on this because companies are not super willing to share information on this. And I think often they are really not as advanced as they would like to make people believe. But but really, in, in, in theory, I think it can make a lot of sense to use some kind of blockchain in a corporate context to exchange information. I think it's often more a business problem, if you will, a social problem to really convince all kinds of stakeholders that actually this makes sense or to also design the system in a way that it actually incentivizes all the stakeholders to use the system. So, but then what we also have is of course, you know, smart contracts, which we really haven't talked about today up to this point. And there's a lot of hope, I would say, associated with smart contracts and the idea of course, you have smart contracts in this corporate context as well, but really the hope with Ethereum, which was launched in 2015, 2016, is really that you can, you know, have something like Uber on the blockchain, right? You have Uber without Uber. And then um, I'm quite skeptical, I have to say, because um, in many applications, you actually want some kind of institution that can fix issues if they arise, right? If there's some kind of, you know, accident, if somebody misbehaves, something unexpected happens, it's good to have an institution that can step in. If you want insurance, also another issue is really that a lot of these use cases that you see in this context are um, associated with some kind of links to the physical world. And then it's really hard to make sure that what comes from the physical world goes into the blockchain and perhaps comes out of the blockchain, goes back into the physical world, that that is actually trustworthy and that is, that, that is sort of translated correctly from the digital to the physical realm and, and vice versa. So that's quite an issue. So there's a reason that for now, beyond cryptocurrencies, you see very few applications. And you do see non-fungible tokens, of course. You do see online games, for instance, but these are all purely digital. And there's a reason for that. It's really hard, for instance, if you have a sensor that sends information to a smart contract. And with the smart contract, the idea would be that you don't need a trusted third party to enforce transactions. So if you think about taking an Uber ride, you call the Uber on your phone and then, you know, you get driven from A to B. And the reason this works is that Uber can intervene if necessary, right? But also there's, you, you really need to be sure if you, if you move away from that and if you want Uber without Uber that you can really rely on the sensor input that there's no tampering with it. And of course, there's a lot of research on that, right? There's, there's people saying, okay, we can triangulate meaning. We don't only use one sensor, we use several sensors and make sure they're kind of in agreement. So that can, for instance, play a role if you have a shipping smart contract, you have a container that needs to be at a certain temperature, you have a sensor that controls that. There's a risk that somebody would tamper, you know, with that sensor and kind of try to manipulate it in some way. You could make the argument if there's more sensors, if there's some kind of, you know, thing going on really where you try to make sure that 
even if one sensor breaks, for instance, the other sensors still run because that's of course another risk. It's not just manipulation. You can still trust the data that is fed into the smart contract and into the blockchain, but it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very difficult space to be in. There's a lot of people thinking very hard about these things. It's just very tricky. So for now, we mostly see blockchain applications in a realm that is purely digital. And I think it's really hard to predict what will happen in the future, but I think it will be very hard to move beyond that. And perhaps we don't have to, because I think the potential that we see already is quite vast, right? Cryptocurrencies are super useful. There's some other applications that are also very useful. Applications in the corporate world are useful as well. So that's quite good. Um, and of course, you know, people in industry, people in research, they're really trying to figure out how to extend that potential to other application areas. But it just proved to be quite hard. And I wouldn't go out and say, we will see this in the future. I think that's very speculative. We might, but I think there will always be some vulnerabilities and then you might decide, you know, perhaps I'd rather use Uber instead of Uber without Uber. <laughs> I'm, there's a lot and of times. I, I, think, I think the one one big point that the kind of crystal touch upon, and and again, the the, the dark kind of the dark side of uh, you know cryptocurrencies, and the big one is like damage to the environment. But the other one is like they are volatile in the sense that somebody like. Uh, lose a token you where is your bitcoin where is my cryptocurrency right so it's the complete opposite of holding on gold right there was i think there was a story of uh two brothers that they disappear with uh, a big amount of tokens so how do you in that case how do you navigate the situation uh, did you lost all you had or like is there a way that people are thinking of kind of recovering uh, if some entities decide to, because as you said, it's a system, it's a network. So you don't know everybody in the network by yourself. So the trust level is lower than going to a bank and see a physical employee, right? Absolutely. So you really um, need to tr trust the cryptography in a way, but you also need to trust yourself that you can actually work with it. Um, and I think if you think about theft of cryptocurrency, there's really two scenarios because you can keep cryptocurrency in basically two ways. One of them would be a custodial wallet, which means essentially you have a company that, save, that basically keeps the cryptocurrency for you. And then it's more, it's very user-friendly. That's a big advantage. So a lot of people do this, but essentially you don't really have full control over it because you always need to trust that custodian that could be, you know, a company like Coinbase, for instance, which is very well known. Very well known. Um, and you always need to trust that custodian that they don't steal it. And I mean, they probably won't, but there has actually been an incident in, in back in the day where a lot of cryptocurrency disappeared this way. So I think people who think about this, they're also quite aware of this. The other thing you can do is to have a non-custodial wallet. And with a non-custodial wallet, you have the money yourself, but you also have the private key, the password. And if you forget it, that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no way to recover it, right? Because there's no institution behind it. There's no trusted third party behind it. 
which is what you may want because you don't want to trust anybody. Mm -hmm. But then you really need to be able to rely on yourself. And I think what sometimes happened is that just back in the day, people would just buy Bitcoin and they would think, oh, this is just a few dollars. I don't really care. I just wanted to try this, forgot about it. And then a couple of years later, they realized, oh, I have like 1 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin, but I have no idea what the password is. <laughs> that's that's absolutely horrifying. And, and there, there's a lot of this stuff um, I... I see as is growing older, becoming more mature in it, they end up adopting more of the traditional banking policies and things like that. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, so we're back at using a bank just like before, you, you know, we've kind of removed all of that stuff. So it, it's having that flexibility in there. Um, one of our, our listeners asked about central bank cryptocurrencies and things like that. So I think that's a really cool segue from what we were talking about of saying, all right, what, where are the benefits and and how are we able to use the flexibility the the decentralized element while still having some of those maybe more traditional safety nets and security features within that stuff do you think that's going to be it, it basically we're going to meld these together or is there always going to be kind of a divide or just generally what's your opinion on those kind of central bank currencies yeah so these uh, central bank digital currencies I mean, of course, that's a development that's had, that has been triggered by cryptocurrencies for sure. But in a way, it's, it's also it's a very different idea because it's really not about decentralization at all. Because if you think about the central bank, and it's in the name, right? It's mm -hmm. about centralized control, right? They want to have the privilege to manage money, right? They decide if they print money or if they don't, whatever they do. It's, it's all in their control. So basically the idea is that you try to just digitalize this in, in some way. And, and I think the concept hasn't really taken off at this point. And I think the reason is that really there's, I have a hard time seeing good arguments for why you would want to do that. I think, I mean, of course, of course you may be able to automate certain things that you can't at this point. And I'm not by no means a central bank expert. So but essentially, it really goes against the idea of blockchain, of cryptocurrency to have a, you know, one of these digital currencies that are centralized and kept by a central bank because it's just a really different idea. And perhaps what happened is actually that central banks felt under pressure by cryptocurrencies and thought, okay, this is really threatening what we are doing. So we better at least explore the space and see what we could do ourselves that does not threaten what we're doing. So we do something digital, but we just do it in a centralized way and see what comes of it. So Christoph, I'm going to ask a more, um, I guess we could say dystopian question here. Uh, but when I think about cryptocurrency and I think about traditional labor and the exchange of a currency for goods and services and all of that stuff. Um, and I and I think about cryptocurrency and and mining crypto and all of that stuff. I can very easily make a, a jump to someone somewhere walking on a treadmill to create energy to then earn a cryptocurrency to then do that to power something and, and we're we're taking the human labor 
and, and associating it directly to then how much labor you do for how many currencies you get within that stuff. And our whole world is just a bunch of people walking on a treadmill to earn crypto. And, and that's what it is. Um, I know that that was a little bit weird and kind of out there, but um, do you, can you see this technology going into a, a area that we've now taken humanity into a place we don't want something that that is there or is this kind of going to be something that that is still going to be held within the, the parameters of what we would say is normal society or is this something ethically that we need to be uh, concerned about i know there's a the reason why i bring that up is there's a lot of technologies out there that we can identify this can go bad this can be here but this kind of seems a little bit softer and, and maybe a little bit more complex and those tend to be where 20, 25 years down the line, we now realize, whoa, we weren't thinking about that and we're a little bit too far down to, to adjust that. Is there some of those things here? I think that's a really good question. And I mean, if you think about it, of course, you know, most technologies are somewhat ambivalent in terms of the impact, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, we've talked a little bit about that already today. Um, I think, you know, um, when you think about, you know, um, what what you talked about in the beginning, this you know people are just you know in, in that well you know to earn cryptocurrency and so forth. I mean you could say that's kind of the world we live in already, right? People that, that's have true. Their jobs. It's it's not cryptocurrency. It's fiat currency, but still it's kind of it's kind of just the same thing in a yeah. way. And of course, um, I, I'm not sure how much that has to do with cryptocurrency when I think about it. But mm -hmm. really, of course, if if we think about cryptocurrency, if we think about blockchain. I think it's very hard to predict what will happen in the future. It also really depends on 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 the previous what kind of you know your previous question how that plays out, right? What are the applications that we will see in the future, right? Mm -hmm. How much you know really autonomous organizations, autonomous applications will we see? And I think what would happen if we if we had something like, for instance, the Uber without Uber that I talked about, if people saw that this wouldn't really work that well for whatever reason, I think people would just wouldn't use it. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's very hard to predict the future. Future, and I think um, I think it's always really important to think about the ethical, you know, implications of technology use, and. That's also why I stress this aspect with carbon emissions so much, because I think it is a massive problem. I think it's not necessary at all because we do have good alternatives. And I think what is really important is that we keep having these debates and we also keep acting on it, right? So as individuals, but also as regulators and also as individuals pressing regulators to do certain things, right? That we believe are right. And I think there has been too little of a discussion on whether something like Bitcoin is even something we should accept in our society. Interesting. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I wish, I mean, and I'm not saying we should, you know, you know, forbid Bitcoin at all, make it illegal. But I think given the detrimental impact, given that we have good alternatives, perhaps we should have a discussion. Yeah. So whenever we've been doing these these conversations for a while now and and at some point the, the conversations go to governmental agencies regulations and and talking about well we need to have these discussions um from my perspective in my opinion only mine i, I feel like a lot of those people in in power either have 
very limited experience with with this stuff that's not you know cryptocurrency and blockchain there, there's not many sitting in the house of representatives that that have a phd in in this stuff um and and i think then you end up with a very limited and narrow scope of what is actually being discussed and talked about um do you think that we as a humanity as society need to be targeting these discussions at m much much more broadly so that we all have a better understanding of it or should this be something that is kind of like what it is now there's a, a select group of people that we just expect Kristoff to know everything about it and hope he makes the best uh, decisions for us and we'll just kind of guess is there is there a way we can bridge that gap or or is it just going to be something that is known by by few experts and we just kind of deal with it I mean, you know, it's, it's an excellent question that, in a way, you know, comes back to the tension that you always have in democracy, right? Because mm -hmm. everyone can vote, and to some extent, you want everyone to be informed. I mean, the reason we do have representative democracy, that we actually elect people to sit in parliament for us, is because they do this as their full-time job, mm -hmm. right? We, we mm -hmm. have our own full-time jobs. We, we, we can't, you know... I mean, of course, there's places in the world like Switzerland that have direct democracy. And I think for, for select decisions that can actually work quite well. But for really day-to-day -day business of governments, I just think it's very impractical. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you know, we need to rely on, on professionals. We need to rely on experts also. And I think experts have at times a bit of a bad reputation, not just in the US, but globally. And I think that's very sad. But um, in a way, there's no way around it. We can't just all be experts in everything, you know? Of course, we're all affected by these, mm -hmm. um, you know, decisions, and we should all inform ourselves, but there's only so much every individual can do. So in that sense, we also need to, you know, when we vote, we need to look for the right candidate for us who we think can represent our views best. And I think... I mean that, that 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 that's just no way around that. And Christoph, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, uh, you graduated from IT University of Copenhagen, and if I'm not wrong, that's the university that, that kind of started the European Blockchain Center. Uh, and they do organize for people that like want to learn more about those stuff, like kind of workshop or seminars, so that people can better expand their knowledge rather than I don't know looking for information on social media or other places where I don't know those information might be kind of biased or incorrect and they can kind of affect people's decision in a in a wrong way. So yeah I mean like I think generally I mean if for those of you who are interested of course you can go to the website which is ebcc.com I think or .eu I would actually need to look it up perhaps you can share it afterwards. But not um, you I think <laughs> okay <laughs> well thank you. So ebcc.eu but essentially when you think about it um there's a lot of information out there about blockchain that's publicly available there's you know certain um you know um outlets really that are fairly reliable like coindesk for instance and of course sometimes you also have articles in you know the economist or so which is an excellent um 
newspaper or magazine really to look at for information like this. But really, um, if you want some more expert information, of course, sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper. But there's a lot of information out there. Um, so in that sense, if you want to get more into this topic, I think that's absolutely possible. And then there's a lot of interesting things to explore. And I mean, we we didn't really have the time to talk about all of these things, but I think we actually had the chance to talk about a lot of very important questions. So I'm really happy that, you know, we had the opportunity to take the time for that. Christoph, I, I think that's a that's a perfect landing for our conversation. And truly, I want to reiterate my gratitude for for your time and sharing your expertise with us. I know uh, in a time when it's easy to to attack expertise or question expertise with with maybe some um, my like own personal ignorance, I'm always very uh, honored to to talk with someone that has taken the time and and spent a, many years learning about this. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Thank you for being here, and hopefully in the future we'll be able to have you back. Well, thank you so much, Russ and Pietro. It's really been a pleasure to be on the podcast, and thank you so much to all the listeners. I hope you found this insightful, and it's really been a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.